How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Glad to have back Colonel Cedric Layton. He's founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. He's one of my favorite guests on the show and certainly somebody I learn a great deal from. It's a strategic risk and leadership consultancy that serves global companies and organizations. Uh, now, Colonel Layton founded the company in 2010, but prior to that, he served in the U.S. Air Force for 26 years. He was an intelligence officer attaining the rank of colonel. He held assignments worldwide at every level of command. That includes tactical deployed units, the U.S. Special Ops Command, national agencies, as well as the joint staff in the Pentagon. More than a pleasure to have back with us, Colonel Cedric Layton. Colonel Layton, how are you? Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you too, Leslie. It's good to be with you again. Well, of course, when we say again, again, we have people like Senator John McCain talking about boots on the ground. We have others saying, well, if troops had been left in Iraq, things would have been different. Then we have people saying, well, not true. If we had troops left in Iraq, there was only so much American troops could do. Uh, But let's talk about the forces, Iraqi forces specifically, um, uh, fighting in uh, Ramadi and um, how ISIS regained that territory uh, in the Anbar province uh, of Iraq. Um, uh, to, you know, bring us up to speed through your eyes, Colonel, with your military expertise as to what has happened. Sure. Well, one of the things I think we need to look at, Leslie, is when we see the way in which ISIS is fighting this war, uh, they are incorporating some modern elements in their tactics and strategy, and they're also relying on some old tried-and-true techniques. And in the old tried-and-true category, uh, they used the weather. Uh, They used their ability to, uh, in essence, look at what was going on with... uh, uh, you know, with the weather, they had a sandstorm that came into the Ramadi area, and they used that as a cover in uh, by which they could then go ahead and mask their movements. And their movements included bringing up uh, basically vehicles uh, that were filled with explosives, truck bombs, basically, into areas that the Iraqis had controlled, the Iraqi security forces had controlled, and they blew up the entrances to those areas. And when they did that, uh, that, of course, uh, you know, caused panic and allowed uh, ISIS fighters to gain uh, entrance into areas of Ramadi that they hadn't been in before. And that then, in essence, turned the tide and brought them uh, control of Ramadi, at least for the time being. Well, there are people that, you know, see in the headlines that in Syria with an airstrike, we took a um, a leader for ISIS. And we're finding out now through spies, we took out more than just one leader. Which is more, which is more important in your uh, opinion, Colonel, Um, or you know, are are they of of equal importance? I mean, the loss, if you will, currently um, to the uh, strength of ISIS and its fighters in Iraq, um, uh, uh, Ramadi, or the uh, strike in taking out that one and a couple of other leaders uh, in ISIS in Syria. That's a really interesting question because, you know, when you look at the map uh, and you see where uh, troop movements are, where, you know, the various forces, ISIS, Iraqi, Shiite militia, all of those, where all of those are going, 
that it, Ramadi becomes very important uh, for a variety of reasons, and it, uh, it at the moment it probably has more importance than the uh, Delta Force uh, activity against uh, Abu Sayyaf, as he is known, uh, the, uh, the the guy that was killed uh, by Delta Force uh, over the weekend in Syria. Uh, and the reason I say that is because Ramadi is so close to Baghdad; it's about uh, 70 miles away. Uh, from Baghdad, and uh, it allows for access to one of the key entrances on the western side of Baghdad. So it, uh, in essence, gives Baghdad, the capital of Iraq, a big strategic and tactical vulnerability uh, because that road can then be used by ISIS fighters to get pretty close to Baghdad and potentially uh, use it as a as a means of uh, you know moving their forces toward that direction if they choose to do that. Uh, now. Uh, that is not to belittle the importance at all of uh, what Delta Force was able to do. Uh, the killing of Abu Sayyaf uh, is very significant for a variety of factors. First of all, it eliminates that particular individual from uh, the pantheon of leaders of, of ISIS. Uh, he was, uh, in essence, deemed to be the, the person that ran uh, their oil-for-money uh, effort, uh, which allowed ISIS to, in essence, finance itself through its operations. Operations. Uh, he and his wife may also have been involved in human trafficking, and in this particular case, they were able to uh, free a Yazidi woman uh, from the Yazidi minority, uh, and uh, that uh, you know shows that there was at least some uh, contact with that part of the ISIS uh, operation, which was to uh, take and enslave local populations that are not Muslim uh, and uh, use them for their purposes. Okay, Colonel, we'll hang on there. We're going to take a quick break and back to you. Colonel Cedric Layton is our guest. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't... We're back on Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. We welcome back Colonel Cedric Layton. Follow him on Twitter at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. The website, Cedric Layton, same spelling, dot com. Um, Colonel, um, a couple of things. Uh, one, there was a press conference or there were reporters gathered at a, break, a breakfast organized by the Christian Science Monitor. And um, there, there were two things. One, Congressman Adam Schiff, who's a Democrat from California, where I am, said, quote, I don't uh, – he, he talked about alarm bells ringing and that the fall of the city of Ramadi to the extremists is, quote, a very serious and significant setback. Would you agree? I would. Uh, I've, I've talked with uh, Congressman Schiff before, not about this specific subject, but but uh, yeah, he's a very clear-eyed uh, national security uh, person, you know, a good expert in Congress on on these issues, and I definitely agree that in this particular case. Uh, Ramadi is basically the, that clarion call, that alarm bell uh, that we all need to be heeding, and the Pentagon especially needs to be heeding at this point. Uh, you have to be very careful, uh, you know, when you're going through conflicts like this Iraq conflict and the, uh, the fight against ISIS, uh, because it's very easy for the momentum to shift uh, in unexpected ways. And if you don't control the tempo of the battle or of the of the fight. Uh, then you risk losing that momentum, and I think that's really what Congressman Schiff is is getting at, and uh, he's very, very right to do so. If you were asked the question that roll call reporter Stephen Dennis uh, asked uh, Deputy Spokesperson Schultz, quote, are we losing this war? What is your response? 
At the moment, the answer is we are losing this war, unfortunately. Uh, we don't have the strategy. We have not implemented the strategy uh, that would be a winning strategy. Now, it's very complicated, very complex to create a strategy that you know would be winning in a situation like this. But uh, you definitely need to get, for example, the Arab nations that are uh, out there, such as Jordan, which lost a pilot uh, you know, to ISIS, and uh, they, they executed him in the most gruesome fashion. Um, Countries like Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, uh, many of the other Gulf states, uh, they have a vested interest in preventing this from exploding and from going further uh, and from, you know, quite frankly, reaching their borders. Uh, so it, uh, I think it becomes very important for us not only to pay lip service to a coalition and to say that we have one, but we actually need to have one. The fact of the coalition needs to exist. Uh, and that means that these countries have to stand up and fight uh, for their uh, their principles as well as their and that's, uh, that becomes, I think, a very important thing for them to do. And I don't see that happening right now. So that's one element of the strategy that's missing. Another one is that there's this failure of imagination where I would say that when we are looking at this, we say, okay, we've got the technology, we have the drones, we have the surveillance capabilities, uh, therefore we will win. It's not quite that simple. You need to analyze the intelligence, you need to anticipate, and you need to expect that ISIS is going to do things like take advantage of the weather and use that in a way that they can gain at least a tactical advantage, if not a strategic advantage. And I think we're not doing that right now. And that's where I have my principal criticisms of what's going on right now. Um, I There are people that say we have our focus in the wrong direction or our fears in the wrong direction. And that one of those... Um, uh, or two of those directions, quite frankly, are uh, Iran and the conflict uh, between in Israel, the Israelis and the Palestinian. So are, are those two, in a sense, in the Middle East diversions from how great an enemy and an axis of evil, if you will, ISIS is? It's a very interesting point because, you know, Iran is also, let's take the Iranian uh, segment of, of your question first, uh, the Iranians are against ISIS as well. So there is an opportunity, you know, if you want to be really imaginative, there's an opportunity to work directly with the Iranians. Now, there's a lot of baggage, of course, with that, and I'm certainly no fan of the Iranian regime, and I'm, I'm also no fan of their nuclear program. I consider that a very dangerous, uh, very dangerous effort to destabilize uh, the Middle East and, and to give Iran much more power in the Middle East. So they have to be watched very, very carefully. But um, I think that uh, you know, the Iranians, if they were uh, to be convinced to be a part of uh, the community of nations and to uh, rescind some of their more uh, virulent statements. Life, liberty, uh, and the person... Oh, sorry. That's okay. And I know that that might be a, a real problem, you know, to get them to do that. But if that uh, if that were to happen, uh, there would be an opportunity to work with them. We're already doing that unofficially through the Iraqi government anyways, because they're also working with the Iranians. They feel they have to. Um, on the Israeli-Palestinian part of things, I would say that, uh, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian issue has been festering for, uh, you know, a, a good, uh, what, 60, almost 70 years now. 
and that um, you know that's that's a really uh, a terrible humanitarian issue uh, for the Palestinians. It's an existential issue for Israel, uh, and uh, there is no easy solution to that. But that is you know one of those long-term uh, areas that uh, you know cannot be fixed overnight, and uh, you know, would have to you know would require a lot of rejiggering of foreign policy initiatives to do that. But I see ISIS as a much more immediate threat uh, than either of them. And I think that ISIS is, in essence, uh, the enemy of all enemies, and that's why it needs to be confronted first. Uh, it has automatically gone to the top of the priority list because of what they do, how bad they, how bad they do it, how bad they behave, and uh, the fact that they are really threatening uh, the state sanctity of not only Iraq and Syria, but potentially other nations uh, in the Middle East as well. It is, is part of the problem that we're not alone in this Colonel, or um, is the president in the United States not making this, A, a proper priority, and B, escalating, um, in your opinion, quick enough uh, to uh, counter um, ISIS's moves? Because really, when you think about it, ISIS wakes up in the morning and they have one goal, you know, you know, take over more and more territory, you know, kill more people in the process, power, 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 goal, caliphate. We have much more exactly. on our plate. That's true, and that's why it's uh, you know it's, it's much better if you could leverage the uh, capabilities of the people in the region, the people that are allied with you in the region. So that means getting countries like Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, all of the Gulf states uh, to work with us uh, and to, to confront this in a direct manner. They're not used to doing that because, quite frankly, they've been under the U.S. umbrella, the U.S. military umbrella, for so long. And so they, they have certain military capabilities. Uh, they can employ them uh, when helped properly. Uh, they can do that. So I would say that, yeah, we're not giving it the right kind of priority because, uh, you know, in many ways we do have a lot on our plate. But the other part of it is if we're not careful with this particular problem set, uh, that could be the one big thing on our plate. And you want to avoid that. We want to keep that from happening. And they're, they're pretty close to being the one big thing on our plate right now. So the real answer, I believe, is to go in, uh, do all that we can to get rid of ISIS, preferably with people uh, that are that are there in the region right now, with governments that are there in the region. Uh, get rid of ISIS, at least contain them in a very small areas so they can't do so much harm, and then, you know, help others solve uh, some of the problems that you mentioned, such as with Iran, such as with the Palestinians, and then, of course, the other issues that come up, you know, throughout the world and domestically here as well. Let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. And we go to Paul in Washington, line one. Paul, good afternoon. Welcome. Question or comment for uh, the colonel? I, I couldn't disagree more with both of you. Uh, to call this a war, oh, it's still a war? We invaded Iraq in 2003. Let's review what we were told. We were told that the war, this war, would be over in three weeks. Four years later, in 2007, we were told that the surge worked. We won the war. We brought democracy to Iraq, and it would spread out throughout the, uh, the Middle East. And remember the purple fingers, the people who voted? And now it's 2015. Let me review one thing that is never brought up. And I remember it was an, uh, an interview. With, uh, Dan Rather interviewed Saddam Hussein, who said this. Dan, Dan Rather asked him, what do you think will happen if the United States invades Iraq? And Saddam Hussein said in a very pleasant and polite voice, 
He said, well, I wish you wouldn't do that, because if you do, at first, we will take a tremendous hit. Many tens of thousands of us will be killed. But then, we are Iraqis. We live here. There will come a time when you will wish that you never came here. And that's exactly what's happening. It's not a war. ISIS isn't attacking the United States. When when Ramadi falls, do you think that affects anybody in Seattle, Washington? Not a bit. Not a bit. But you know what? We're going to blow more things up, and guess whose roads are going to get paved when we rebuild them? Iraq! But not but, but wait, But wait a minute, Paul, and Colonel, um, please weigh in on this. If ISIS does establish a caliphate in Syria and in Iraq, and, and, and if they recruit more people, train more people overseas and send them home, and, and we see more, God forbid, 9-11s, that does affect us here. Colonel, can you uh, oh, add? Absolutely. It, it does affect us, and here's why. Uh, you know, Paul has some very interesting points. You know, num- rule number one of, uh, you know, when you go into war, Never believe the initial prognostications. And you can go back to, you know, let's go back to World War One just as an example. Everybody believed it would be a short war. Uh, you know, 20 million plus lives later lost. Uh, you have had a completely changed Europe. So, uh, you know, there's a whole idea of short war prognostications that that has to be out the window. But he's right to point out that. Um, you know, with a Dan Rather interview that Saddam Hussein gave, uh, there, there are certain tidbits of, of information there that it's always wise to look at. But we also have to remember these are very different conflicts. This war against ISIS is a completely different war uh, than what we fought in 2003. Uh, it is a completely different war even from the Anbar insurgency that uh, than the Anbar awakening uh, that then thwarted the insurgency in Iraq different insurgencies, different groups, uh, different governmental structures that we're dealing with within Iraq. Uh, so Iraq uh, you know, has a, a very complicated history, but the basic bottom line here is that uh, the, the fact that Ramadi has fallen uh, does have significance because people thought that, uh, you know, for example, when Hitler uh, started moving around in Europe, he, they thought that it would not affect the United States. It ended up affecting everybody in the world, not only with Hitler, but with his Japanese allies, the Italian allies. All of that has some historical precedent. The other part of it, though, is is that when you get a group that has momentum like ISIS, they are challenging the very fabric of the nation state. They're challenging that fabric, and then when they do that, and if they are successful, that will change all of the power relationships, and that will affect everybody, whether they're in Seattle or in Peoria. It will affect them because things like the price of oil will go up. Uh, things like uh, you know your ability to sell stuff will go will, will be will be. Uh, we made uh, you know uh, less uh, less less possible. Uh, so there are a lot of different things that happen, a lot of inter uh, interwoven uh, pieces here uh, that need to be looked at. Uh, there are a lot of things. This is not just their their mud hole. It is everybody's mud hole at this point. But, but Colonel, if, if I may, if I may, you're talking about more military analysis. We've had you said oh, we can't trust military analysis in the beginning. Uh, and I have to point out, let's remember that Germ- both Germany and Japan declared war on the United States in the same week of uh, December 1941. So they declared war on us. They were trying to kill us. Uh, yeah, but 
we we have gotten more and more uh, since the beginning of 2003, March 2003, or let's call it January, February of 2003. We've had nothing but changing military analysis changes like the weather over the last 12 years. So to say that we, you know, now and not 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 to discredit you, sir, but. Uh, you and everyone else has given us, uh, we've had so many different kinds of military analysis that turn out to be either uh, wrong prog prognostication or irrelevant or untrue. You know, a crisis, like, I don't deny there's a crisis in Iraq, but sometimes a crisis has to come to a head in its own way, and the people there have to work out their problems. I feel like the United States is like the, the, the referee in a boxing match who keeps getting slugged in the chin by the fighters. I mean, that's, that's what it looks like. So, you know, Paul, the issue here is that, uh, you know, when these uh, different groups uh, fight in Iraq, there's, a, you know, we, we are where we are. And, you know, when it comes to military analysis, uh, the, there are some parts that are good and, uh, you know, where people really do have a good insight into uh, the future and the other parts that are bad. And obviously the bad parts, the ones that turn out not to be accurate, you know, get the most attention and, you know, perhaps deserve it so, but there are you know certain things that we have to keep in mind. Uh, what happens in one area affects other areas, and when these things occur in this in this way, such as you know when we come into uh, you know to a place like Anbar Province, uh, where ISIS did not have as much of a foothold as some of its predecessor organizations did, um, that is a significant issue because. The things that we fought for, whether or not we believed in the Iraq war, the things that we fought for in Iraq are all of a sudden being, uh, in, a, in essence, eliminated. And that uh, is a significant, significant problem because, you know, we put blood and treasure on the line there, you know, well over a trillion dollars. In terms of money, uh, you know, countless lives lost, about a third of them actually in Anbar, about, uh, you know, a little over 1,300 lives were lost in Anbar by Americans. And that to see those, uh, those sacrifices overturned by these kinds of actions on the part of ISIS, inaction on the part of the Iraqis, uh, that or at least failed action on their part, that becomes a, a significant political issue for us here, and it also becomes a significant geopolitical issue because it uh, affects our relationship and our ability to influence events in other parts of the world. And I would argue that it uh, becomes very important to influence things. I'm not saying occupy, but what I'm saying is influence these areas because uh, without our influence, uh, there is a vacuum effect that occurs. And, of course, just like in nature, uh, politics, geopolitics, support a vacuum. And when that happens, you see all kinds of unwanted actors showing up. And I would argue that ISIS is definitely one of those unwanted actors. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, calling us, Paul. And, uh, Colonel, uh, time just always flies when I have you on, and we'll definitely have to have you back. You know, I adore you, and thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, as it's always. my pleasure, Leslie. All right. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, I, you know, one of the, honestly, one of the greatest parts of my job is getting to meet people that have done such extraordinary things in their lives and, and who teach me because I'm, I'm not a military expert. And Colonel Cedric Layton is. I mean, he's lived it. And he continues to live it. I mean, he helps people throughout the world uh, with his organization, Cedric Layton Associates. Uh, follow uh, the Colonel on Twitter, like I said, at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, and the website CedricLayton.com. Check it out.
How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.